0: Welcome to the Measure Success
1: Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy inspires leaders to grow their companies from startup to 40 million and beyond by designing world class strategic plans and help keeping those organizations accountable to actually get it done. So, if your company or someone you know wants to do a strategic retreat, create a strategic plan, and actually get it done the right way, contact us. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more, or you could send an email. To catch like catch a ball at 40strategy.com. We often like to have a shout out, and our shout out this week is to Dove Barron. Dove is, he recommended our guest here today, Gil, and we're super excited that he's on the podcast. Dove is an incredible human being. He has one of the top podcasts by entrepreneurs and CEO, as noted by Inc. magazine. And he's also been recently elected as the top 30 global. Gurus. So I encourage you to go to his website, which is dovbaron.com, to learn more. And with that, that leads us to our guest, Gil Winch. Gil Winch is a PhD and the founder of CY, a unique 100% underdog company comprised primarily of people with severe disabilities. He's a keynote speaker and he's the author of Winning with Underdogs How Hiring the Least Likely Candidates Can Spark Creativity improve service, and boost profits for your business. As a keynote speaker, Dr. Winch has shared the stage with former President Bill Clinton and others, and he's also had a recent TED Talk, How Can We Use the Hiring Process to Bring Out the Best in People? And this was filmed actually during the pandemic recently in 2020. He's also the recipient of numerous awards for social entrepreneurship. And in 2011, he's actually chosen by Israel's leading economic newspaper as one of the 100 biggest influencers on the Israel economy. He, he has his PhD in psychology from Tel Aviv University in Israel. Gil, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Carl. It's lovely being here. Absolutely. So, Gil, I'd love you to share a little bit more about your business because it's very unique. It's not the common business that's out there. Share what, CY, no, what it is and what it does. Okay. So, CY wasn't built
0: in order to be a business. It was built as a showcase to prove a point. And it started about 20 years ago when I heard by by chance that people with, with disabilities globally are perhaps the most unemployed group out there, especially people with severe disabilities. And when I went home and thought about it a bit, it just didn't make sense because what do people with severe disabilities do at home all day when they're not working? And it's it's a combination of screens and phones, which is what so many people do at work. So I couldn't figure out why people who are wheelchair, people who, who, who use a wheelchair or people who have visual impairments or emotional impairments, why are they so much out of work? 90% of them are out of work globally. And it just didn't make sense to me and it stuck with me. And I also realized two other things because When you're out of work, not only are you out of work, you're the poorest out there and you're the most isolated out there. So we've, as a society, as a global society, we've taken the weakest amongst us, at least medically, and we've made them the poorest amongst us and the most isolated amongst us. And I thought, well, if it doesn't have, if it's not because of the disabilities and and they can't explain it anymore, the disabilities, so there are other reasons. And if there are other reasons, they might be solvable. And that's how I got into it. And after five years of research and interviewing and putting together a model, I thought I knew why they're out of work globally and how to fix it and Cy is my proof of concept. It's a free market business with regular wages and proven productivity, because we're a call center. So there were other teams doing the same thing, but employees, two thirds of them are severely disabled, people who have never worked before, and the other third are other underdogs, ex-cons, people who are currently in prison, older people. We had a guy starting with us last week. He's 70. It's his first job, and we have high hopes for him because he did good in the screening. So we'll take everybody who can't find a place elsewhere and see why is a proof of concept. So it's not a a maximum profit regular business in, in, in that regard. It's to prove a point and to try and change the world.
1: So I'm curious with this, because sometimes some of these organizations are put together and and there's a desire to pay less, so to speak, right? Because it's almost like taking advantage of the situation. And you said something really clearly here. You're not trying to do that. You're providing paying regular wages as they would get in the free market to be able to do this. So explain to me why that's important to, to pay regular wages and to do the right thing in this process? How has that helped out your concept of what you've been able to prove?
0: That's a really good question. It doesn't matter if you're disabled or not. By the way, if you're sitting at home and nobody wants you day after day, week after week, year after year, it's going to affect your personality. It's going to affect your confidence. It's going to affect your executive functioning. It's going to affect an awful lot of things. It doesn't matter if you're disabled or not. Just being an outsider, not part of, not being wanted. Now, when you take people who have lost various degrees of confidence, but a lot of it, and you want to prove to them, they're just like anybody else. They lost confidence because they were out of the circle, but not because they lack ability. You can't pay them less than other people and expect them to function like other people. Because if you pay them less, you're just reinforcing the fact that, yeah, they were left out because they are less. So they'll provide less. It'll it'll create sort of the seeding, they'll never, they'll never they'll never get through. But if you treat them like regular people who have been wronged by us from the beginning, and you treat them and you pay them a regular wage, even though they don't do enough to justify it at day one, they will eventually, and then they'll overtake it. So you do get a really, really engaged workforce, but you need to treat people as they will be and not as they are at the moment in order for them to actually get there.
1: Mm. I, I love that concept of treating people as they will be, right? So so in, in like the current state type perspective of, of effectively forecasting their success, right? By, by treating them in that way. So how do... Your team, right? If you may, your employees, you know, instead of saying the term dis- "people with disabilities," how does your team respond to this? Because I gotta imagine most of their life, right? Depending on when they had, whether it's been a lifetime disability or whether it was a recent disability, mm-hmm. how do they respond, and how do they trust that they feel like they they finally feel like they're being treated the right right way?
0: Okay, so so lots of people have not been treated the right way, have been taken advantage of. We have a lot of people turning up with debt. They're not even sure who or why they owe money to. They've just been taken advantage somewhere somewhere in their past. And so there are trust issues there. We, part of our model, and everything we do is different. We found out that managing people regularly like this, it doesn't work that's the reason they're globally unemployed is not because they have disabilities, it's because the whole world is doing the same mistake. The whole world is concentrating on how you can prepare people who have been out of the job market for a long time to successfully re-enter it. You can't really, you can't all the way anyhow. There's not one model out there, I think, other than ours that talks about what the business needs to do to enable people who have been out of a job for a long time to successfully re-enter and reach regular productivity. How does the business prepare itself? And that's what we're all about. So the business does everything differently. We screen differently, we onboard differently, and we manage people differently. And we realize that people who have been out and been the outsiders, they really suffer from Something that looks like trauma, like a social trauma, very little confidence, very hesitant, fight or flight, freeze, all those things. And the best thing, the best environment, the best culture they could enter so they can reach their real potential would be a warm, caring, sort of tribal community culture. And I, if, I, if I want to sidestep just for, short, just for a minute to explain something. We have evolved as a species for millions of years to provide within a tribe as as primates, as, as homo sapiens and everything in the middle. We provide within a tribe. It's only in the past 200 years since the industrial revolution where we leave our homes and we go and work for people who don't know us. But we've evolved as social animals to work amongst people who care for us. We always have a place. We always have a job there because everybody needs to contribute but it's not been like that for the past 200 years. So what's actually happened is the state of affairs in the cutthroat cold corporate world is that most people suffer emotionally. The statistic is about 70% of the world are suffering emotionally at their work. They're suffering from work-related anxiety, distress, harassment, not a good life, work, balance, many things, but they're all emotional. But that emotional state is keeping large groups of people outside of the workplace, people who can't function in such cold environments and business has lots of words for, you know, don't take it personal, it's just business, and it's very personal, especially for someone who hasn't been a part of. Our whole culture is around caring and warmth. And, you know, often when the new guy joins, you want to see how they are, who they are, before you give them the credit, right? In order to see the best of how they are and who they are, we'll start off with giving them the credit. They don't have to earn it. They get it at the beginning. They can only disappoint. but But they get the credit at the beginning because we want to provide the best environment we can for people with low self-esteem and self-efficacy to succeed as much as they can and that's a warm caring nurturing environment which everybody everybody does really well in but some people actually need they can't do without it
1: so did i i want to make sure i read listen to you correctly is it 70 percent are suffering emotionally did you say that And the in the Globally, in the workplace, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. a
0: huge amount of unengaged and a huge amount of suffering.
1: Yeah, so that's incredible, right? So that's an incredible. That means the majority, right? And we we wonder why we have. It's yeah. interesting when you flip that number around. It's it's no wonder why we're lucky to have twenty to thirty percent engagement at a company, right? Yeah, right. I don't you want know. to tell
0: you the numbers at CY. They're through. They're like totally different planet numbers. We we, we measure our our employees' engagement around ninety five percent. Wow. Wow. Because they feel it's their home. It's their calling. It's their family. And we work so they'll feel that way. Everything we do is so they feel that way. And if you make employees feel that way, then they'll do everything they can to make your customers feel that way. Hmm. And then you have a successful business. And really you're engaged and a really engaged
1: workforce. Forgive me there. In your TED Talk, and I do encourage anybody to, who's listening right now to listen to Gil's TED Talk after you listen to this podcast. It, you talk about some certain parts in the hiring process, which is very different than traditional hiring, You know, yeah. the, a whole different approach to that. If you could share for those who haven't had an opportunity to hear your podcast beforehand, what are those differentiators and, and why as a business do we have to change to get to closer to the truth on hiring people?
0: I, I got to start out by saying that there are lots of things that the business world keeps on doing, even though the world of research has proven that they're totally irrelevant. It takes lots of years, for sometimes a business to catch up. Traditional screening can actually give you an 8% good evaluation, 8% out of 100 of who's going to succeed at the job or not. So you're doing a whole lot of screening to get 8%, which is nothing. It's not worthwhile at all. In fact, 92% of adults say they have interview and screening anxiety. Now, when people have anxiety, the only thing you're often seeing is their anxiety, how they handle anxiety, nothing about the real traits they have, because it overshadows everything else. So anxiety and screening is like putting mud on a camera lens. It's just obscuring what you want to see. Now, some jobs need anxiety. So you say to the candidate, so this is the part where we're going to do things with heightened anxiety because that's part of the job, and then you can do it. But the rest of it, you want to see who the person really is. And everybody's screening for who can handle anxiety for a bunch of jobs that have no anxiety in them. And in fact, companies are working so hard, so employees will feel great about it. And in the TED talk, I give an example of like Gap employees that unless it's Black Friday, they don't have anxiety in their job. So why is everything about the screen anxiety evoking? Everything we do in screening is to lower anxiety. People know what they're coming in for. They can come in with a friend if they want, with with, with a dog if they want. They can ask to do it over. They can say that this is more comfortable than that. They get to grade us at the end. We tell them when they're going to get stuck somewhere so they don't take it to heart. They know it's part of the exercise because we want to see what happens when people get stuck, not when they get stuck at what point because they haven't started yet. We want to see how they work through stuck so we'll be able to evaluate where they're going to go, how far they can go, which nobody actually does in screening. So everything we do about screening is catered to the emotions of the people coming over. And I got to tell you, there's research out there, very strong research saying that people who go through a good screening experience will give you 15% more after because they had a good screening experience. And, And the opposite is true as well. If they had a bad, cold screening experience, either they won't sign up with you or they won't be that engaged or they'll just start, but they're not really there. I mean, it's the right way to go, but everybody does this traditional thing which is it's just mistaken and there are many examples like that in the business world
1: so, so i i give you... you yeah go ahead yeah go ahead i mean yeah, i just... I'll just
0: give you another short one a goal setting right how does goal setting there's the 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 research regarding goal setting hasn't changed from the 80s it's very very straightforward people need to be involved in the goals they need to be things that they can do if they put an effort in right there's it's it's very structured But that's not how goal setting works. Goal setting works not according to the emotions of the people who need to hit the targets. It's not fitted to their emotions, which would actually get you the best result. It's fitted to the emotions of the boardroom. What will calm their emotions? It's got nothing to do with how effectual it actually is. And it usually isn't because it's not catered to actually the people actually doing the work, but other people. So there are lots of things like that that we decided we, we're not going to go with the flow. We're going to reinvent.
1: Yeah, I I love this. What some of these parts you're talking about of how, once again, going back to the original interview part, where we said eight percent success rate, it's yeah. incredible that we are still doing the exact same thing over and over and over again yeah. without being willing to look at the data to see if we can do it differently. I mean, if we looked mm-hmm. at the facts, it's like why are we even Doing it right, you make a question with right. right. So, so why not do some? It is so interesting of, of what we do with goal, the SWAT, right? Strengths, yeah. weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yeah, it is the standard prepare, preparation process for creating strategic plan. And nobody's question. Very few people even question why we're even doing it. It just become the standard that's been happening. I think since the '60s. You know, hey, we have been doing these type of activities, and do we really get the results that we're looking for? So. How When? How do you get people then? I mean, obviously, people are still doing the same thing. How, how, you, you have a TED Talk. You have a book that's out on this. Are you seeing anybody starting to change? Or is anybody starting to change their process for hiring and screening?
0: Well, funnily enough, yeah. For instance, just before the, the, the book came out, Google had, I think maybe Microsoft, I think it was Microsoft, had research done about their screening procedures, and, and they found out that they're screening for t- for anxiety handling and not for, for the things where they, they wanted to screen for, code writing, for instance. They found out that all the women failed that screening, but when they did low anxiety screening, they all passed. So more and more companies are figuring out, wait, we need to look again at the things we're doing as a routine because they're not necessarily working anymore. And Actually, when you present it, when you talk to companies about doing things differently, they're very, very interested. And I think lots of companies know that things aren't working well enough, not with screening and not with employee retention or, or employee attrition. I mean, things need to be done differently and not with diversity at large. Lots of things have been, doing, have been done because of tradition and not because of need or really thought through ideas so people yeah people are very open and if you show them one or two you know strong research results they 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 buy into it because it's like common sense sort of i'm not saying something that's it's opposed
1: to common sense the minute you say it people go yeah that's right Mm So let's let's move now you've got through the patch you you you've properly screened you've done things differently you help people feel more comfortable to get to the yeah. truth closer to the truth behind who they are to be able to complete the aptitude of actually performing work functions at yeah. the position you're going to pay them for right so you get you get them right. in the door all right so now we're 30 days in yeah okay where where a lot of people can fake it for 30, 60, 90 days, even six months, up to a year. But how do you maintain, you already said you have this 75% engagement rate. How do you maintain that engagement after the initial start? Because we have a
0: culture of caring and it's modeled down by me. No one will, you won't find one person who's ever worked for me, who will be able to say that they've ever heard me raise my voice or talk down to anyone or talk disrespectfully to anyone or even start a conversation with someone without inquiring how they are and sincerely inquiring. It's not have a nice day and moving on. It's like sincerely inquiring how they are. I want to treat people like I'd like my children to be treated, my kids when they're like grown, but when they work or where they work. And when you treat people like that, I found out that I don't know, 95% reciprocate, and 5% don't. I'm not changing because of the 5%. So there'll be 5% of people who take advantage and don't reciprocate and and, treat others in the wrong way. But we're not changing who and how we operate because of those 5%. We're going to operate by the 95% of people who really appreciate... Us. And even when we fire people, and we fire people every month, we're a regular business, right? The most common thing we hear is, "Yeah, that should have happened a couple of months ago." You guys are late with me because we'll give them many more chances than they would give themselves. We really want to put up the best fight we can for each and every one of them from a place of caring, and and they can feel it. When you're cared for and when it's sincere, people feel it and they love it, and they stay the long term and they turn up. When they don't even have a shift, we have people turning up when they don't have a shift. That we have to open offices an hour before we officially start because people want to start early just so they can, you know, be social with each other.
1: So now, wow! Open early. How about that? I mean, if you're an employer right now, of CEO, how many are you dealing with people who are coming in earlier than the doors needed to be opened because they so much want to have an impact? I. Yeah. Love something that you said, because, you know, you, you've probably heard of the golden rule, right, beforehand. But you you had a, described it differently. Treating others how you'd like your children to be treated. That's a whole level bar, way higher than I've ever heard, honestly. So I'm curious, do you share those principles internally when, when talking with that's how we should be talking and discussing? And, and is this like a principle as a part of the organization? It's like a religion.
0: Mm. It's like a religion, mm. and it's part of our values. And I'm not sure there are other. We're to, we next to every value we have, we have a if not. There's no point in values if people can transgress them, and you know what happens then. Oh, we'd like to be there, but I haven't. Oh well, what's you gonna do? No. So next to every value we have, and if not, what happens then? Uh, I'll give you an example. You have to treat everybody with respect. Even though you're senior, it only gives you the right to make decisions. It doesn't make you better, so you have to treat everybody with respect. So what happens if someone not senior sees someone senior speaking without respect to someone else, someone below them? What do they do? We've all decided to get them. They go stand next to the pe- person speaking not respectfully, too close to them, so they're on notice, and you touch them lightly on the shoulder unless they're religious reasons not to or others. And then you walk away and you can't not allow to discuss it again. You just want to give that person a chance to breathe deeply and realize he's a bit out of line. There's no after conversation because we don't want someone senior going to explain himself and feeling uncomfortable. It's just, hey, like pay attention for a sec. And that's it. And it really, really works. Well, and you have people coming and saying, yeah, I was a bit carried away, thanks a lot, and, and stuff like that. We're not perfect, but we try to follow these values and these teachings as much as we can, really try, and we'll succeed most of the time, not always, because we're not perfect, but we'll always try and do better later.
1: I love it how you've created a a behavior to a physical behavior where people could see, which is stating and how to stop it. Cause that's often we, we don't have these cues, right? These, these cues to observe of what we're trying to discuss. And I love it how there isn't this attempt to correct it later, right? Because it's kind of broken, right? When something happens, it's broken. It's broken. And, and so there's this point of, we're going to forgive it by just letting this go through. I, I just want to share a quick story I had with an employee one time. I was, this employee made, a, made an error, made a relatively significant mistake. And they wouldn't talk with me for a while about it. And, and they finally said, well, why aren't you yelling at me? Why aren't you berating me for what I've done wrong? And I said, well, you've already learned what you've done <laughs> wrong. So let's, let's correct it going forward. I've forgiven you. Right for what, what has happened? It, it was learning opportunity. How, how how much after how long after the fact was this conversation? It probably took a week or two, you know, for for him to boil it up, right? To boil it up to a point where he was just finally like, yeah. like he 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 didn't think I was keeping him accountable enough because I hadn't yelled at him.
0: So we have a forty eight hour mourning period. If you screw up, own it, learn from it. You have 48 hours to mope around but then i don't want to hear of it anymore and even if you screw up royally 48 hours and that's the end of it i don't want to hear it anymore and if i see people moping around i'll say either we're all in mourning and we all like need to lower our heads and not talk or we're all out of mourning i i don't want to be in mourning anymore two days next we're moving along and it gives people like the freedom to, to, to not ruminate. So many people ruminate at work. Most burnout happens not at work what, with the ruminating after work. And I don't want that. So they have two days of mourning when something happens and that's it. I'm not allowed to do it anymore.
1: So one of the things you talked about earlier, that I was kind of curious about is you mentioned this important of, of being family and, and having this close cultural connection, but you're laying people off and you can't lay off family. So, how do you, how do you, one of the reasons why I bring this up is one of the things I've been recommended beforehand to say with companies is call them more teams, right? And And the concept of teams are, you know, sometimes as you continue to grow out throughout an organization, you're going to need different skill sets, right? To be able to, if you may go from one level to another, from college to the NBA, if you may, using a basketball comparison. So, it's easier, so to speak, to verbally say, we're, we're, moving our team up, if you may, to this next level, it still hurts, but there's at least an understanding. But when you say your family and you say you actively, like a business, let people go, how how do you reconcile that?
0: That's a really great question. And I'll start from the end of it. Between 25 and 30% of the employees we, that we accept every month are returning employees. Some of them have been fired. So that, that's the end of it. They We will do it so that they don't feel that it's personal as much as possible, that they realize where it came from, what we've been trying to do to not get to that point. So what usually happens is people will tell us they're leaving before we need to fire them because they can see all the effort we're putting on and putting in to helping them get to where they need to be. And if they're not reciprocating or can't, or don't even want to, usually they'll they'll, they'll, just, they'll they'll tell us they're leaving. So I thought, I mean, we have like tens of people with emotional disabilities. And by the way, touching on the shoulder is because we have like tens of people with visual impairments. So you just wave, they won't necessarily see it. So you've got to, you've got to touch. But I thought we'd be sued left and right all the time for people who who we've fired and they want to put the onus on us and they don't want to take the spot. It's happened twice in 15 years. Wow. And in both cases, the judges were very, very, very clear that if the guy sues us or anybody else again, they will pay a huge fine because we really do it after we've run out of ideas how to help. Mm. And, And everybody knows and it's felt. So there's, there's really little anger in, in that situation.
1: So this has been, I, I, what I always love about great conversations like detail is, is I could spend hours with you. I always, always feel bad about the limitation of time I have when we're doing these interviews. So I want to ask the, the business question. How do you measure success in, in business here at CWCY? How do you, how do you measure success there?
0: Well, because why I describe it as a social organization, because there's no such law in Israel. There is in the States, in England, but not in Israel. There's either a for-profit or a foundation. There's nothing in the middle. I define us as a for-profit, but not maximum profit. Like a B Corp, I think it's called in the States. No one in the company can earn more than five times anyone else. So if management wants to earn more, you make sure everybody earns more. And we haven't given out any dividends, we prefer to invest the money in making our model better, bringing in people we had a harder time bringing in before and and stuff like that. So my success wouldn't be financial. Because I opened this in order to really change the world and so far as the inclusion of underdogs and diversity worldwide is concerned, that's the measure of my success. I wrote Winning with Underdogs in order to get our playbook out there for cheap, so to speak. And, and, and so it'll be accessible to everybody because, the, I mean, how many people will I hire eventually? A few hundreds? We have a few hundreds. A few hundreds more? It's a huge world. And I'm not going to change it alone. I'm going to change it only if we manage to get the information and knowledge out there, Everybody would earn more money if they managed that way. Corporations would earn so much more money with an engaged longevity of employees, people hitting targets better, quicker. So I wanna get the information out there. So the more people interested in what we're doing or reading the book or coming to a lecture or, or coming to our academy, we have an academy in Israel where we teach other, other businesses, that's the measure of my success. When I hear that somewhere abroad, people have started to do this or that, that's that's my real mission. Because in this case, my business is a means to an end. It's not the end.
1: Mm. Love it. All right. So we're going to switch over to the personal side, Gail. Um, okay. you, you are a pretty extraordinary person by what you have attempted to accomplish. This is not a common thing, right? Where people taking a philosophical, research-based idea, and then actually not not just trusting other people to do it, but actually on your own, trying to prove a point that it can exist. And so this is, in my opinion, this would be a lot of pressure, right? That this is, has become your business. So how have you created habits to in your life? To keep yourself on top of your game, if you may, to keep yourself having outstanding performance that you do on a regular basis. To do that,
0: that that's, so like a, meaning, that's a really that's oh, a really ahead. good question, and I have a really s- specific answer. I, while growing up, I was born at the end of the year, and on my best days, I'm five eight. So I was always the smallest kid in the class, which could be rough for a kid. But at some point very early on, I realized that you know I can't necessarily be the strongest guy, the, the the biggest guy. There is one domain which I can totally control, and that's my mind and my emotions. And I decided I want to be the king of that castle. And and I want to be my friend insofar as I don't ruminate, I'm not angry with myself if I make a mistake. I'm really, really good at motivating myself. And I'll give you an example. I have two daughters I love dearly. And their respect and love for me is so important. So I know you ran a marathon. And, 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 and you did. And you know that it's something that it's so easy to not do. <laughs> There'll be so many mornings when your body will explain to you, nah, you don't need to. Nobody's making you, why are you doing this? There's so many great exit points along the way. And I also do long distance running. And what I the, the more difficult the run, the more I do things like, I'll tell my daughter, this is my GPS, I can't cheat it. If at the end of the day, it doesn't show you this and that, you're allowed to lose all respect or to get that tattoo on your nose, they don't want to get at tattoo on the nose. Or whatever. <laughs> like something really harsh, I don't want to happen. Right. And that gets me motivated mm. when 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 I when I'm trying to do things that are difficult. And I always imagine succeeding. And the more difficult things become, and sometimes they can be really, really difficult. I always imagine the door coming down and I'm sliding underneath it just in time. I always imagine imagine the positive outcome. And I do have a very, very Deep belief that I'll get there, that I can change the world. People can really feel good when they go to their workplaces because the culture will change and everybody will do better and everybody will earn more. And I know I'll get there. And any any obstacle is just an obstacle. And I don't know how I'll get there or how long I'll get there, but I know I will. So the whole self-motivation thing is is, is easy for me. Plus, I do have one advantage I don't think most people have. When you go to work and you're surrounded by people, right, who don't have legs or can't see or have a terminal illness or are losing function in their limbs, hands and legs, your life seems so easy all of a sudden. And I'm surrounded by people that need to show grit and fortitude to just turn up. And, you know, I'm humbled by them every day. So it really is easy for me to do those little things with all my limbs and all my faculties and all my emotions intact next to people who don't have all of that and are still doing an amazing job.
1: That is a... Lovely answer. And and I, I really appreciate how you have found ways to set accountability with your daughters from that aspect. What because you don't want to fail them. I love that of not getting a tattoo right in a certain place or you know <laughs> <laughs> I love Somebody recently challenged me to a, p- to a specific goal and they said, if you don't make it, Carl, you're gonna have to give money to a charity, because I give money to charities on a regular basis, but to a charity that you would never give money to. It's it like, a
0: great one. Yeah. Give it to someone you hate.
1: Yes. You want, and yes. let people
0: know about it. Yeah. Great motivator.
1: Yep. So I got that goal done. Just want to let you know, <laughs> I did not fail that particular goal because I did not want to fail you know? that. So h- how do you measure success in your personal life?
0: I I'm I'm very family oriented. And I don't know if I always was, but the minute I met my wife, I was. So I'm very family oriented. And I'm really happily married. We really get along great together. We have two lovely daughters. And I'm really, really happy and content. And feel, I feel really lucky in my, in my personal life. So because my wife works with me at CY, and it's, it's our lives and our mission, so everything gets intertwined, the, the success of, of my family life is when my family are happy. And I, I have a limited, I have a limited effect there, but I think if I do something I believe is the whole purpose of my existence, which I'm currently doing, and I wasn't doing before. I was a consultant before, and I really enjoyed life, and I, I, I was making a really good living, but I was always contingent on people actually doing what I said. <laughs> or what do I, I advise and all of a sudden when it's your own business and you don't have to explain it to anybody if you believe that's the right thing to do yeah just do it it's so liberating for a consultant to be in that position I was always curious will I take things even further than I did as a consultant way further because I don't have to explain to anybody so, so I, I measure success in those terms am I doing what what I think I, I, I meant to be doing am I am I doing it correct. And if I'm not, I'll just, I'll just, you know, reevaluate and 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 do over and without getting angry. And I I think I'm like really happy.
1: That's awesome. Gail, that is a fantastic answer. And I appreciate you sharing once again, your, your business as well as your personal habits. It's, It's incredible to see somebody like yourself who has put So much effort into something that has so much meaning and has such an opportunity to impact so many people throughout the world with their own disabilities. But what's interesting is also it can help those who don't have them to find a better way, right? You know, to not only engage people who have disabilities but engage people who don't have disabilities, who are just—I don't mean this in any—who are just not engaged right because of anxiety or other challenges or other difficulties and and you've helped well the culture they're working with yes In. yes yeah you found a model you found a way and you've proven it through your own actual work that it can be true which is i think incredible what is a book that you'd recommend for audience that really inspired you so I have two short ones.
0: One is Emotional First Aid, and it's by someone called Guy Winch, who happens to be my identical twin. And I think this book is so important, not because of my identical twin wrote it. It's because so many people are unhappy. And everybody knows what to do when you have a headache, you take a pill. But What happens if you were belittled at work? What do you do to not not make it stick? What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you feel isolated or alone? Nobody really knows those things. And my brother's taking it upon himself to make it his life mission to make that knowledge accessible to people before they have to go to a shrink. And it's so important for parents to educate their kids about emotional health and for parents to educate themselves about their own emotional health. Most people I know are not emotionally healthy. So I think to to, to create happiness in the world, that would be a great book. (laughs) But in the business side of things, Adam Grant's Originals, I think, was a book that forced my thoughts of I want to do things my way, and it's okay to do things my way, because it's my way and I'm me. And, and those are just like regular people who do some things differently, and are really connected to so many things in that book. And it, it's, it sort of enables you to actually follow your heart, I think, when you're that type of a person. So, so maybe those two books would be my, my recommendation even though there's so many good ones.
1: No, those are great recommendations. And thank you so much. And of course, you know, I do also recommend you, you separately, right? You're not saying this, but you know, your book that you have, I think it has an incredible difference winning with underdogs. I encourage you to, to listen to that book as well, or sorry to read it. Gil, what is, how can people find out more about you, your organization so they can connect with you?
0: They either can connect with me on LinkedIn, and I actually, you know, I'm reciprocative there, and or they can go to my website and leave a message. And because it's a website message between the the various offers I get that every website gets, there are also messages that I can actually use, and I look at all of them. And either it's easy to find me and connect, and I and I do and I do so it's, it's easy to find me.
1: Absolutely, and we will have all of that once again, all that information posted. Gil, this has been a pleasure to have you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much for being on.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Carl. I really had a lovely time.
1: And to all of our guests, I I strongly encourage you to to learn more about Gil. He's an incredible individual. We also want to thank you for your support of the Measure Success Podcast. We encourage you to rate us. We're in the top 1.5% of podcasts. We want to keep on making a bigger impact so we can hit our goals of reaching at least a million people in 10,000 organizations. So if you could do your best of rating our, our podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it, the Measure Success podcast. And to all your audience, thank you once again for, for doing what you do, for the feedback you give us on a regular basis. And we just wish you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.